Hey, Oasis Online family, good to see you again. Super excited about all that God is doing in our church. And by the way, thank you so much for engaging online, filling out surveys, your giving, everything you do to be a part of Oasis Church here. We are just so encouraged by that. And I want to tell you that God is not done. I feel so strong and so motivated that this year is going to be something special. There are doors being opened for us as believers and followers of Jesus. And this series really is going to set the tone. Um, I know we were in a series about humility and our vision for the year is the attitude of Christ. But now as a church, we have to understand who we are and what the church is supposed to be. If you didn't get a chance to watch the first message from our Family Values series that launched last week, please do that. I was so encouraged by even one of our team members who had some things going on and couldn't engage on Sunday, and they were texting on Monday that they had caught up on the message. I want to invite you to do the same, to catch up on every single message, because it is values, I would say, are the soil that vision is planted in. God is really doing some crazy things vision-wise with people who do not compromise their values. So we need to know what they are. Last week, we talked about the church not being a business. The church is a family. The church isn't a content creator. The church is a family. And I think it's important we understand what our values are. Last week, I was supposed to talk about worship, but I really wanted to set a foundation and kind of let us all know uh, for us that are confused that a church is not a place you go to. Uh, matter of fact, it's, it's, it's a community you belong to. And uh, we're going to go over our six family values as a church over the next several weeks. You're going to hear about every single one of them. Matter of fact, let me just give you all six right now. Yeah. So in case you don't, do maybe we'll do a little quiz in the room, but you know, our first one of those values is we worship as a family. We worship as a family. Put it in a chat. We worship as a family. One of the other values is we serve as a family. Put it in the chat. We serve as a family. Uh, Nelson, like somebody throw some out there. Don't make me say all six we by myself. Give. We do pray. Yeah. We, do pray. we pray. As a family, not give because that was the surprise that I was going to, that's the one we're doing today. So say we pray as a family. We eat as a family. Good job, Blaine. This is like class. Come on, we're only missing one more. We grow as a family. Did I get to all six? And then the final one, which is not the final one, because there's really no order. They're all important. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most important things we can do to actually show that we're family is to give as a family. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, my friend is watching for the first time, and we're talking about giving. Oh, no. You ever brought a friend to church, and the pastor guys today, I'm going to talk to you about tithing. You're like, no, I just brought my friend that I've been inviting from work for three years, and now you're talking about giving. But hopefully, your friend watching you right now is broke and uh, why? Because they'll be encouraged by understanding what God has to say about money. And even if they're rich, they'll be encouraged about what God has to say about money. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Malachi 3. Typically, we only read verse 10, which is a famous church verse about tithing, but we're going to read verses 1 through 18. Are you ready? Verses 1 through 18, where God says to the prophet Malachi, look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. I just want to pause there for a second because there is a scenario where you can be doing church without the Lord. Mm. And then it says, the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord. 
of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. This is important we understand that the presence of God that is there right there, wherever you're watching, the presence of God that is here on Sundays when we worship in person, the presence of God is there to refine and cleanse. He cleanses through uh, faith. We understand that the blood of Jesus washes us clean of sin and he refines and makes us have obedient and responsive hearts to the presence of God. The presence of God is not there just to give us goose pimples or make us feel good or come on, sway back and forth, or have a Christian karaoke because we're all singing. But no, the presence of God is there to bring change and to refine. Verse three says, he will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. That word dross simply means impurities. And watch this, he will purify the Levites. Who are the Levites? The Levites are the priests. Now, if you grew up in church, you have heard Malachi 3.10 probably a thousand times. And if you've only been going to church for a week, you probably have already heard Malachi 3.10 because during the offering in church services, we uh, talk about Malachi 3.10 in church where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's the giving moment where the pastor asked the church to give 10% of the income that God has blessed them with. But notice before we get to Malachi 3.10, the presence of God purifies the person in charge of the tithe. It doesn't get straight to the people. We always skip that verse as leaders. We don't don't read verse three where it talks about, I'm gonna purify Pastor Julian with the presence of God. I'm gonna purify the staff with the presence of God. I'm gonna purify the leadership with the presence of God. I'm gonna deal with all their impurities And then I'm going to talk about giving in the church. If we fast forward to verse 10 that talks about you giving, then you give to a organization and a church and a family that has not been purified by the presence. Therefore, your giving can almost be rendered useless. Watch this. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. And listen to verse four. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. I don't know how this sermon is not gonna be an hour, Natasha. You gotta help me. You gotta help me because what this is saying, I feel like preaching. What this is saying is that before anybody giving in the church is giving an offering that is acceptable, I have to purify the priests that are collecting the offering. So we could have the world's greatest, the most, I could announce to you today, guess what? In one Sunday, we collected $100 million. And unless I have been purified by the presence of God, the Lord would deem that offering unacceptable. We could collect a billion dollars. We could collect a bunch of cryptocurrency. You can turn over everything in your coin base to the church. And God, unless the staff was purified by the presence, God would deem that offering un- unacceptable. So before your offerings can become acceptable, the leaders that you are entrusting with that offering must be purified. I'm gonna say that again. Bef- it, no matter what amount you give, you could give 10%. This scripture would suggest that before the offering becomes acceptable to God, the leaders entrusted with distributing that offering must be purified. No wonder the Holy Spirit has been so tough on me lately 
because I believe there are financial resources coming to your family, coming to our church, coming to the city of Los Angeles. And if you've been in a season where it's like, I already did something. I already did the work last year. I went to therapy. I was in the presence. I did 18,000 Bible studies. I know Ephesians by heart. And yet God is still convicting me. That is because he's getting ready to entrust you with kingdom resources. And the only way that that is acceptable is if we've been purified. Isn't this good? Verse six, he goes on. I'm gonna skip a couple verses. Verse six says, I'm the Lord and I do not change. This is, that is why you, the descendants of Jacob, are already not destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return? We've never gone away. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Now he is talking about 10% of their, their crops and the things that they grow, the fruit that he has blessed them with. And then he says, you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. And then the famous verse, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'm going to repeat that. I will open the windows of heaven for you. Some of you are praying and believing for a promotion. Some of you are praying and believing for increase. Under the umbrella of an open heaven is all increase, all promotion, and all favor. I'm believing for Oasis Church that the windows of heaven will be open for us. It says, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. Your land will be such a delight. And then God says, you've said terrible things about me. And then they go, what do you mean, God? You have said, what's the use serving God. What have we gained by obeying his commandments, trying to show the Lord of the heaven's army we are sorrow for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed for those who do evil get rich and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Literally, in this chapter, God is talking about a breakdown between uh, his sons and daughters and him. We've literally lost sight of the family values. And one of those family values was giving. Now, over the years going to church, to be honest, all I heard was, as a believer, as a Christian, you must give to the church. You must tithe. And that, as I've studied these scriptures, is not true. He is not talking to people who believe in God. There were pagan kings who had acknowledged that God was God. Nebuchadnezzar once said, now I know that God is God. The Bible says even demons believe that Jesus is Jesus. And God doesn't go around asking demons for 10% of their demonic income. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go around asking pagan people to tithe. If you believe in God, that doesn't mean it is time to tithe. What is happening? That God had embraced Israel as sons and daughters of their heavenly father. And he's teaching them family values. They had grown up in the presence of God and they had learned that from God personally by what God had given to them. 
And they had even made a covenant saying, now we know you're God and we know you supply all our needs. So God, we promise we will give back 10% back to you and they're not doing it. Well, why is that? Why do believers not give? I believe it's the same reason that the Israelites didn't give. The Israelites didn't feel loved by God. Malachi 1 verse 1 through 4 literally says this, the Lord's love for Israel. Verse 2 starts with, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? They were going through such difficult times that they were questioning God's love for them. And so it was restricting their hearts of generosity because they were under God and they didn't feel like God was looking out for them. And so they said, we're going to look out for ourselves. This is the very first beginning of selfishness and fear. When you say, because of the season I'm in, God is not looking out for me. So now I have to look out for myself. They literally said, how have you loved us? This is important for us to understand because in, in a church culture, we can lose sight of love. In, in biblical life, we can lose sight of God's word, you know, sometimes can look like he doesn't love us or certain scriptures can look harsh or certain experiences we've had. I knew a person who literally said, I'll never believe in God again because they prayed and prayed and prayed for their mother to survive cancer and their mother died. And he said, I'm done. I will never, God is not kind. God is not loving. God does not care about me. We can associate our deep desire and deep pain to the fact that God doesn't care. Why would God allow us to go through something that if I even liked someone, I wouldn't let them go through? But now you're trying to tell me you love me and our temple's half the size? Our our bank accounts are low? Our our, our crops aren't growing? How in the world do you love me and I don't feel like you're looking out for me? And it begins this thing where you start to hold on to what you have. You stop being generous. You stop operating like a child, not a Christian. That's why we got to stop saying that Christians should tithe. No, it's not religion that makes you tithe. It's relationship that makes you tithe. It wasn't just people who believed in God, because at this point, a lot of people believed in God. It was people who had been embraced by God, literally God's people. And that happens by faith. And so what I'm challenging us to believe is simply this, that God loves us. God loves us. You know, I remember, uh, you know, raising my kids and one of the first words they learn is mine. Mm -hmm. One One of the first very struggles in their character is not understanding that if I share this, there's more where that came from. Literally as a kid, it's one of their first struggles in their character is they don't want to share. It's theirs. It's mine. They don't understand. And I've shared this story in other sermons where one time I bought my kid a chicken McNugget and I had a, a, a little Happy Meal and this little guy didn't want to give. I asked for one. He said no, not knowing that I had the resources to replenish that as many times as he needed. I want to ask you this question. Do you feel loved by God? Are you, is the love of God under attack in your heart? Have you prayed about some things that didn't happen? Man, I've, I've prayed. I've been catching L's on my prayers, y'all. Like, it's, it's almost to the point where I'm like, Lord, do you, is there something off? Because I remember I used to pray for anything, and I feel like you would do it. And now I'm, I'm praying for people to live and they die. Um, I had uh, 
my wife prayed for some stocks this morning and they went down after she said amen, they were down 20%. Like, I'm just catching L's. God, do you care about me? And if we're not careful, we start to question the love of God and we call it wisdom. I'm just going to play it safe. I'm just going to be smart. You know, I really can't afford to do that. You know, you know last time I did that, da, 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 you know what I mean? We start, it happens a lot. The Israelites didn't feel loved by God is one of the reasons why they didn't give. One of the reasons why the uh, offerings went left, and you have to understand this, God was not, you have to understand this. I want you to write this down. God did not say people who don't tithe are under a curse. He did not say that. So if you've grown up in church and someone has told you that if you don't tithe, you're under a curse, that's not true. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say to a room full of people who believe in God that if you don't tithe, you're under a curse. Write this down. God did not say people who don't tithe are under a curse. He said that people who said they would tithe and don't are under a curse. Malachi 1.14 says this, cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. So you ever, you know, had God bless you with something? You ever had God do something for you and then you promise, you swear to him you ain't going to do something? Lord, if you get me out of this, I'm never going to smoke again, right? The Bible says not to make vows to the Lord. You'll be held accountable for the vow you make to the Lord. So some of us don't make any vows because we're scared to break them. And some of us, God provided for you five years ago. There's somebody watching right now that you were in a horrific financial situation And you literally told God, God, if you provide for me, if you come through, I promise to you, I'll bless people. I'll give to the church. I'll do this. And now five years later, to be honest, like you got a nice Mercedes, some off-whites, like diamonds in your teeth, you know, whatever. You got a grill. And God's like, yo, we talked about this. I was committed to you. You were committed to me. He's not talking about the person who's watching this for the very first time and put their faith in Jesus last week and you have no idea what giving's about. You actually need to receive, my friend. You need to understand how much God loves you. The Bible says we freely give because we freely received. So if you don't even know, you're not even aware what God has given you, the grace and the truth and the love, it's not time for you to give. But if you know that God has blessed you, he's like, come on, we're supposed to be family. If you actually uh, uh, walked on the street and, and saw a stranger and you asked them for something that you really needed, you would have no expectations of that person because they're a stranger. But if they were family, we have expectations for our family. And I think if we're not careful, once God embraces us as family, there's expectations. If you feel outside of the family, your only expectation is faith. But once you're inside of the family, Your faith should lead to obedience. Your faith should lead to generosity. Your faith should lead to making wise decisions. Your faith should lead to being a part of a community. Like God is like, are we family or not? Literally, God is saying to Israel, hey, y'all, family values time. We give as a family. This is good stuff, man. I love this verse. This is so important we understand this because in the Bible, I've noticed that there's like four or five different levels of giving. There might be more, but these are the ones 
I've noticed. And you know what the first level is? It's some of the level that, that, that y'all are on right now. And that level's called nothing. Put it on the screen. Zero. Goose egg. How do you say zero in Spanish? Cero. Cero como estas ven aquí? Cero. Did that make any sense? Did that make any sense? Settle? Okay. Nothing. Nothing is the only thing I have found in the kingdom of God that God would consider illegal. It's not something. Nothing is the thing that I feel like God has a problem with. There are certain seasons in my life where I don't have everything to give, but I can't give nothing. You ever been invited to um, someone, and we know a lot of people, this is tough. You get invited to a birthday party and like you don't want to show up empty-handed. And you ever been invited to your best friend's birthday party that's given you the world? You want to give them something. Matter of fact, I, I bought a really nice gift card for someone who got me a really nice gift card, or at least I thought it was a really nice gift card. And, you know, I kind of like, I can't show up to this person empty-handed because they got me a really nice gift card. So I got them a really nice gift card. It was my awareness of what they had done for me that created my response. Wow. But for some people, like, if it's like a coworker from back in the day, and hey, you want to come to my birthday party? Sure. And then on the way, you're like, well, we got to bring something. And you stop and you get that Starbucks gift card and you try to write. You ever notice when people don't give you gifts, they always have the, like, the longest. Here's, let me give, give you a real quick tip. If you don't want to give anybody something, write a heartfelt card. It's powerful. It's powerful. My, my, my broke auntie when I was a kid, she used to put on our cards what she wished she could get us if she had the money. Like one time she put, if I had the money, I'd get you a Nintendo. And we'd read in the cards, like, and she would write down the things that if she had the money. And we love reading about that stuff. In some ways, looking back, I was like, we never got the Nintendo, but she actually took, she actually had it in her heart, if that makes sense. And it was kind of, Cool, but we, she, didn't, she didn't just say, oh, because I can't afford the Nintendo, whatever these, my nephews want, I'm going to bring nothing. She just brought, tried to bring something. And the something that she brought was always so heartfelt. In some ways, it meant sometimes more than the people who you knew had money, and they came over and pulled, pulled 100 bucks out of their pocket because they had it. And you knew they'd forgotten about you, so they went in their wallet and just pulled out a 20 or whatever they had, I mean, we spent it. It was fire, but I'm like, but there was something about that aunt that I had that would write these heartfelt cards because she wasn't willing to do nothing. And my heart as a church is I understand that we're all in different places, right? Like some of us have been giving 10% of our income for years. Some of us are giving sacrificially, but my heart for our church is that not a single person by the end of 2022 would give nothing. Not a single person. That everyone who says that they're a part of this church, if this church has been a blessing to you, it's not nothing. I don't think we understand what goes into this. It's like it's not nothing. Second Samuel 24, uh, verses 22 through 24. And I, when I read this story, I'm reminded of the time when I was a kid where I was taught to give, I believe, in an incorrect way. Um, and I understand that people in my family meant well, but when I was a little boy, um, my family, when we would go to church, you know, here and there, they would give me a little something to put in the offering. 
I had money passed through my hands. I had birthday money, whatever, passed through my hands, but they'd always give me a few quarters. And I was always so excited to give, but it cost me nothing. It was coming from my mom's purse. David had the same opportunity. David was called a man after God's own heart. And watch what happens in 2 Samuel 24, verses 22 through 24. Um, He's needs an offering to give to the Lord. And somebody, Aruna, is there and wants to give him something to offer the Lord. Verse 22, chapter 24 says this, "'Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish,' Aruna said to David. "'Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I'll give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice.'" But David, the king, replied to Aruna, "'No, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Can you imagine being in such a place with God that you're so aware of what God has given you that just like me when I was that little boy, I'm like, no, 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 no. This has got to cost me something. This is not going to be on the house today. Me being in the presence of God, it's got to cost me something. Everything that God has done, everything, all the price that God paid for me by sending his one and only son, Jesus, I'm okay with following Jesus at a price. See, salvation is free. Discipleship should cost you. And it is this profound revelation that following Jesus has a cost to it but also has a reward that is greater than any cost we would pay. It is that divine revelation that say, oh, I'll pay the cost again and again and again. I'll pay the cost of pain. I'll pay the cost of what I feel led to give. I'll pay that cost because what God rewards to people who are paying the price far out uh, exceeds anything we could ask or imagine or think from God. That first example of giving was nothing. I pray that no one gives nothing. The second example of giving that we saw in Malachi is giving something you won't miss. And so for some of you, that's a tithe. I have it on automatic withdrawal. I don't miss it. I had someone say that to me one time. Yeah, I give the tithe every single month. I have it on automatic withdrawal, and I don't miss it. I use that voice for anything I'm talking about, if you haven't noticed. It's like, doesn't even matter like what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah, I met a gang member the other day and he was like, hey, curse. <laughs> bang, bang, homie, what set you from? And I just can't stop using the voice no matter what I'm freaking talking about. No matter what I'm freaking talking about, I can't use the voice. Somebody give me a new voice if, I, if they can. I'll go, I'll go to voice school or something. But right now, that's the voice. This is set up an automatic withdrawal and I don't even miss it. <laughs> Try to switch it up a little bit. I was like, oh, I think you're missing the point of tithing. Yeah, good, yeah. If you don't miss it, you should probably up it. Yeah. Especially if you call yourself like, uh, uh, not if you're, but these are levels. Nothing, something you don't miss. More recently, I realized I'm not missing my tithe. I'm used to it. Like, it's like, I'm treating it, if I'm not careful, like a bill. Mm. Like right along there with the mortgage, right along there with the car note. And I'm like, Oh, I should be missing like money I give. You ever given to someone? And let me just give you an example. I know that I've done this part well, I can say. 
because I've given to multiple people that right after I gave it, I was like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. I needed that. Or it made me not be able to do something. Mm-hmm. One time, I was so exhausted and we weren't in the best financial situation and somehow miraculously we had gotten $3,000 that we were gonna spend to go to Mexico on vacation. And our Christmas offering was going on and we were trying to raise money for the church. And I was going to give something to the offering that I wasn't gonna miss. 100 bucks, 75 bucks, right on there, above my tithes and offerings. And Christina says to me, did you hear anything that we're supposed to give? into the Christmas offering? And I was like, nope. And I'm up there emceeing because I'm count- I gave something, right? But I didn't check in with God to see, was he trying to stretch my generosity? Because to be honest, I didn't feel like he was providing enough for Ethan to go on vacation. We had to save that up. And Christina said, I felt like we were supposed to uh, send our vacation money. I was like, my wife don't care about me because we were going on vacation the week of my birthday. So we give my vacation money then I don't get to go to Mexico the week of my birthday. So I prayed about it, and that's exactly what the Lord said. We gave whatever it was, $3,000 into the Christmas offering. And so Pastor Philip at the time, who was the, the pastor, uh, we were talking about something in January, and he goes, hey, can you go to this event with me in, in February? And I, uh, oh, he said, oh, yeah, you're going to Mexico for your birthday. I was like, not anymore. We gave away the you know, the money to the offering you held, you know? (laughs) I didn't say it like that. I was like, not anymore, we don't have the money. He said, okay. He calls me a week later and he says, hey, I was supposed to do a wedding actually that week and the thing I was inviting you to, like, I can't go because I I gotta, I'm supposed to do a wedding. I need to go to this other thing. And they asked, would you do the wedding instead of me? And I said, sure. He says, I wanna warn you, it's a destination wedding. And I said, where? Like, because if you say Wisconsin or Kansas, that's not a destination wedding. That's just a wedding in Kansas. Destination weddings are in beautiful places, okay? So he says, yeah, it's in Hawaii. And he said he would pay for you and your wife to go to Hawaii. Here's his number. We had never met this man before in my life. I get on the phone with him. He says, yeah, I know it's short notice. You have to, you have to leave in a month, but... You and your wife, as long as you want to stay in Hawaii. And I said, when? And it was the week of my birthday. The exact week I was supposed to be on vacation in Mexico. I said, honey, you got to start giving away our vacation. And we were going to like Puerto Vallarta or something. We ended up in Hawaii. Like he upped the level. I think the vacation was honestly six grand. Like it was double of what we gave. That doesn't happen every single time. But what it did is it made me transition from, I had been transitioned from nothing, but it made me permanently transition that I will never, ever again give something I just don't miss. In Malachi 1 verse 8, that's what they were doing. God said, when you give blind animals the sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. He's like, try to play the IRS like that, homie, it ain't gonna fly. You can't throw the IRS your little, it don't work that. He literally brings up taxes and government. The next level beyond nothing and something you won't miss. And I understand, by the way, if you are in a place right now where you are giving something you don't miss, I want to say thank you because at least it's not nothing. Yeah. Like, and if you're giving nothing, I want to release you to continue to give nothing. 
But in order to be out from underneath the curse of giving nothing, you cannot say that you're a part of this. Just don't say, yeah, you know, me, me, this is my church. This is my family. Yup, Pastor Julian, that's my God. Just watch what you say. Watch how much you connect yourself to what God is doing because then you start to be held accountable for not doing what everybody else in that. Because wow. remember, he wasn't mad that they didn't give. He was mad that they were supposed to, they were claiming they were a part of something and not giving. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying at every level, there's grace, but there's not ever grace to stay where you are. There's grace to move forward. And that third thing about moving forward is bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. Are you ready? The whole tithe in the storehouse. Now, by the way, the Bible says that God will open the windows of heaven if you bring the tithe into the storehouse. And the tithe was their crops everywhere in the Bible. Seed is referred to as money. So he was saying, when you put your seed in the ground, you ready for a little visual? Yes. He was saying, because they were all believing for rain. They weren't believing for money. They needed rain. If it rained, they had money. This is prophetic. They already had the seed. What they needed God to do was to make it rain. If it rained, they had money. I'm going to say that again. If it rained, they had money. They would take their seed and they would put it in the dirt, and then they would pray to God to release the rain. When God released, this represents rain. When God released the rain, money was on the way. All they had to do was make sure that seed was out of their hand and in good soil. And when the rain came, it would bless them. But I want you to understand under the same concept, if the seed was still in their hand when the rain hit, the rain washes away the seed and the seed is gone. So what's happening prophetically right now in 2022 is somebody's putting seed in good ground. The rain is coming and it's going to multiply. Somebody's holding seed in their hand. The rain is coming and it'll be washed away. Because he said the floodgates of heaven will be open. Things that are stable and based off God will remain and things that you hold in your hand will be washed away. We got to get that seed out of our hand before the rain comes. Now, I would love to use my flesh and manipulate you and say that the seed has to go to the local church, but it doesn't always. Deuteronomy 14, 24 says this. I'm like scared to read it to you because some of y'all are just like, yes, we don't have to go to the church. <laughs> now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship, he chooses for his name to be honored, the house of worship, where he chooses for his name to be honored, it might be too far for you to bring the tithe. If so, it doesn't say catch an Uber. It says you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herd. Put the money in a pouch and go to a place the Lord your God has chosen. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Then feast there in the presence of the Lord and celebrate with your household. And then it goes on to say, and don't neglect the Levites, which means the priest, the pastor in the town, for they will receive no allotment of land among you. They don't get to go in the marketplace and make money. The leaders in this church don't get to go out there and close business deals. We're here serving God's temple. So he's saying, don't forget about them because they don't get to go in the promised land and do stuff. They don't get to close the deals. They don't get to do all that stuff. So don't forget about them. 
And then it says at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of the year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. So literally he's saying, yes, I want you to tithe to the church. But if for some reason you live off the 405 down in Long Beach, you don't have to drive all the way to the church to give it. But you know what you need to do? You need to buy something and sit with it and eat it in the presence of the Lord and remind yourself of how God, good God has been to you. Take the tithe and buy something and let it remind you of how good God's been to you. I wanna challenge somebody right now that I believe God's gonna take from nothing to something to tithing. Take 10% of your next paycheck by faith. And if you don't have faith to give it to the house of God, Buy something for yourself that every time you look at it, you will be reminded about the faithfulness of God. And I believe prophetically, now, don't, just, don't buy something stupid. Whatever you buy, enjoy it in the presence of God. Never use it. If it's a car, enjoy it in the presence of the Lord. If it's a nice meal, go to a nice restaurant. If it's 200 bucks, go to the nicest restaurant and sit down with your family and say, the reason why we are doing this right now is we believe God. The Bible in Deuteronomy 14 called that a tithe. Have you ever heard that? Me neither. I'm going to Ruth Chris tonight. Roger Dunn golf shop, getting a new driver. And every time I swing it, Thanks be to God. <laughs> That's a version, wow. if it's genuine, of tithing. Wow. So if you don't have faith to give to the church, do something for yourself and sit with it in the presence of God and just say, thank you. God, I trust you. Do something for yourself as an act of faith. Come on, girl, get your hair done. Bro, go to the dentist. Figure it out. Like, pay for it. Like, get the thing. If you want to get your teeth, get it. I'm about to get my teeth fixed by faith. Just veneers, like flashing on every noms plan. But sometimes I don't do things that don't have the money, but the Bible says, take that 10% by faith, do it. And every time you look in the mirror and smile, say, thanks be to God. Take that meal, take your family out, take that money and say, thanks be to God. And I believe it will activate the same spirit that would tie to the church is going to activate in your life. That's what he would tell them to do. But you can't just sit there and do nothing. The next level of giving is sacrificially. Acts 2, 45 said they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They were selling stuff to meet needs. They weren't saying, bro, I don't got it. I don't have it. No, they would say, do I have anything to sell to meet this need? And the third level is everything. Well, not the third level, but the fifth level is everything. So you have nothing, which we're not going to do. Amen. Something you won't miss, which some of us are doing right now, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get tithing. And I believe that someone is going to hear this word and go take 10% of their next paycheck and either give it to the church or do something for themselves. And remember how much God has blessed you. And many people in our church are already giving sacrificially. And let me tell you, your grace that's on your life for giving is giving people in our church the space to move from nothing to something they won't miss, to tithing. And I'm so grateful that you're doing that because we want this place to be a house of grace while we preach the truth. And then there's uh, sacrificially and then everything. In Luke 21, which I won't, I won't read, 
But many of you have heard the story. There's a woman who gave two coins. And many people in the room were giving out of their abundance. And Jesus said he, would, he blessed her offering even more because she had given everything. Why is this important? Why are we talking about giving? Why is it important that we say that we give as a family? Because as I was praying for you, as I always do, and I was preparing this message, Jesus reminded me that when he started the church, the very first time he picked a church leader, he picked Peter, and he says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Except for one thing. The gates of hell are open. You know the gates of hell are open against your finances? The gates of hell are open against your marriage? The gates of hell are open against the church? And I felt like God spoke to me so clearly because the gates of hell have been open over some of your finances forever. It's a generational curse. You have fear over it. And the solution for the gates of hell are not prayer. The solution to the gates of hell are the windows of heaven. Because when the gates of hell and the windows of heaven collide, the windows of heaven always win. I can tell you as someone who has had to give sacrificially, who has some moments feel like we've had to give everything, Christine and I, we have seen this battle play out in our lives, the gates of hell versus the windows of heaven. And every single time the windows of heaven won. If you get yourself in alignment with the windows of heaven, and for some of you today, that is just to commit, never again will I give nothing. Every single person watching, all 1,500 to 2,000 of you on average, stats would say 70% of you give nothing. Never again. Not because the church needs the money, we're good but because the gates of hell are open over your finances and we want to lead you to an atmosphere where the windows of heaven can be over your life. And some of you are going to move from giving something that you don't miss to tithing. And some of you are going to do that by either tithing for the first time, giving 10% of the income God has blessed you with. Or like I said to you earlier, I want to challenge you. If you are not a tither, At some point, I want you to take 10% of your paycheck and do something nice for yourself in the presence of God and remind yourself that he is faithful to activate the faith to begin to tie to your church community. And then some of you are giving sacrificially and, 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 and thank you for doing that, but maybe God would ask you to pray for more. If we do this together as a community, the windows of heaven will be open over our church. And that's all this series is about. That's all this particular value is about, is to keep the windows open because the gates of hell always will be. I want to tell you something. As long as you're on earth and you believe in Jesus, you will never go to hell. If you truly have a heart for Jesus and and you are truly a follower of Jesus, you are not going to hell. But the scripture does not say that hell cannot come to you. The gates are open. We have to be a church living under an open heaven. Father, I thank you that today this value that we give as a family has been put deep into the hearts and souls and spirits of your church. And that yes, as believers, we don't go to hell, but you said the gates were open. Hell can try to come to us and attack, kill, and to steal and destroy. God, the blessings you've called us to have. So we combat the gates of hell with the windows of heaven. We come into obedience to your word and your truth. And God, I pray that someone right now is receiving the spirit of faith 
to move forward in their finances. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you so much. Um, watch this a couple times if you have to, because there are things in there that maybe you missed and you catch. And I really believe God's going to use uh, this particular sermon to bring about kingdom resources in your life and keep the windows of heaven open over your family and your finances. Love you so much. And I'll see you soon.